0: Good morning, my name is Elias Edwards and I will be sharing scripture from Matthew 13, 1-9. The parable of the sower. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables saying, listen, a sower went out to sow some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. If you have ears, hear.
1: The metaphor of the parable of the sower has always been clear. We are the soil and the seeds are the word of God. The story is one of Jesus' simplest and most clear-cut messages and it leads us to an easy conclusion. We, as believers, want to be the good soil, the soil that bears grain, 30, 60, 100-fold. Not the unfarmable path, not the shallow, rocky ground, and certainly not the thorny and weed-filled soil. We want the word to take root in us, the good soil, and bear fruit. But here's the thing. I don't always feel like good soil. Sometimes I feel the rocks and thorns of the world, the pressure that social media exerts on people and how it crushes them, the way sensationalized news can cut into our lives, ripping and tearing at our relationships. So what do we do then? Am I just born as one type of soil? If we can't hack it the first time around, are we just doomed to fail? We only get one shot at planting and that's that? If we take the parable at face value, it might seem so. But I think, through Jesus, there's more to it than that. Let's backtrack for a second and take a look at our four soils. Jesus, in verse 19, tells us that the unyielding path is, quote, anyone who hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, thus allowing the evil one, in our story, this is the birds, to come and snatch away what is sown in the heart. Now. Just like our path soil, in reality, not all land is farmable. I mean, take sand. It's coarse and rough and it gets everywhere. (laughs) It's not good for farming on its own. And yet, humans have managed to farm in the desert for millennia using irrigation. It's too bad there's nothing in the New Testament about Jesus providing water, except when there is. John 4, 15, the water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. All this to say, just because someone might not initially believe in God or understand his word does not mean they never can. The Apostle Paul himself started as an enemy of Christians before his transformation by Jesus. On to our second soil, the shallow rocky ground where the seeds could not survive without deep roots. However, Just because the first attempt failed does not mean that it's a lost cause. I mean, if that was the case, most people would not even be in this church right now. Take the prolific writer and theologian C.S. Lewis. He left the church as a young adult and became an atheist, only returning in his 30s. The first time around, the word did not get deep roots, and his faith plant was scorched by the sun. But God will not leave it at that. God is the woman searching her home for the lost coin. God is the father welcoming home his wayward son with open arms. And God is the good shepherd carrying the lost sheep back to the flock. God does not toss us out and let us go. The third type of soil is the one inundated with thorns that choked out the seeds. In verse 20, we're told that these thorns represent the temptations of the world. So, then I guess the things of this world can separate us from the love of God. But wait, of course, that's wrong, as we know from Romans 8. Paul reminds us that nothing can separate us from God's love. So when we feel our faith being choked out by the world around us, we can trust that God is there holding on to us. So what though? We still have the fourth type of soil, the quote-unquote good soil. We uphold the good soil as the ideal and perfect discipleship, exceptional and unmarred from the beginning. But who's to say that this good soil was not previously non-arable, rocky, thorn-infested dirt? Dirt which was transformed by the love of God. We might not be able to get rid of what's in our life that's preventing us from letting God's word take root on our own, but I'll let you in on a little secret. We don't have to. First of all, There's the ever-transforming power of God, something we've been talking about a lot in youth group this season, and I've already discussed in this sermon. But that's not all. Jesus calls us specifically to have community with other believers. You see, good soil is not just pure, raw dirt. There's bacteria and fungi and worms all there, too. Now, I'm told that maybe referring to my fellow Christians as bacteria, fungi, and worms (laughs) might come off a bit strange, but I assure you it's a compliment. (laughs) These organisms in their diversity enrich the soil as community enriches the Christian experience. Without them, the seeds would not even have enough nutrients to grow. And if we acknowledge that the sower is really just someone spreading God's word, then the sower can also help by pulling out the rocks and thorns We are called as believers to help each other understand God's word and develop our faith. And it's through each other that we can reap what we sow. Thank you.
2: All right. While Jesus told many parables, and I mean many parables. The parable of the sower sticks out in my memory the most. I remember doing an activity at my old church when I was six years old. We were split up into groups and given a parable, and we had to create a short video where we acted it out. Guess which one my group got? If your answer is the parable of the sower, ding, 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 congratulations, 100 points to you. I don't know where you can redeem them. At first glance, this parable is one of the easiest to understand. For seeds to grow, they have to be planted in an area that nurtures them and gives them what they need. Scattering them randomly isn't a good idea if the farmer wants a good harvest. You plant seeds in good dirt so that they can grow and yield food. Putting them anywhere else is just a waste of time, energy, and resources. Later in chapter 13, Jesus interprets his own parable saying that it's the same with God's word. If we just hear the scriptures and stories and don't try to understand, that's just like birds coming down and eating the seeds that have been sown on the path. If we hear and briefly take note, but then we forget at the first sign of trouble, that's just like seeds not getting a chance to take root among rocks. If we hear and allow the word to take root, but we get distracted by other things, That's just like thorns growing around the small plant and choking it, or blocking out all the sunlight it needs. Our faith needs the right conditions to flourish, like a plant needs good dirt to grow. And those conditions start with hearing the word and understanding it. Real simple, right? Yeah. Well, allow me to plant a seed of doubt, pun fully intended. Every plant has different needs, just like every human. The dirt that helps one plant grow might be harmful to another. Some plants, like lily lily pads or air plants, don't even need any dirt. Going by this logic, there is no universal good dirt. There is no one way to teach the word. There is no one way to interpret the Bible. There is a reason we have not one, not two, not three, but four different versions of Jesus' life. Each is told from a different perspective because everyone sees things differently and has different needs. I helped teach this story to our Sunday school class of first and second graders two weeks ago, and it went pretty well. They were calmer than usual, so that was helpful when we discussed the story. Yeah. I asked our first and second graders a few questions to gauge their perspective, and some of the responses were intriguing. When I asked them where they would like to plant things, They all said stuff along the lines of good dirt and places without rocks or weeds. I asked them if they could think of plants that didn't do well in normal dirt. And they said lily pads, water lilies, weeds, and moss. So then I asked them about people who lived in different conditions and managed to adapt. One of the kids suggested people living in space. That was out of this world. When I asked them why they thought Jesus told us parables, one of the students had a great response. They said, Jesus tells us parables so we can learn about life and how to be a good person, because Jesus wants us to grow safely. So maybe there isn't just one interpretation to this parable. Perhaps Jesus leaves space in the puzzle of the parable to demonstrate everyone has a variety of needs and there is no definitive answer to everything. Like, for example, this church has a variety of ways of nurturing faith. NASA doesn't confine seedlings to one single good dirt because we recognize everyone grows in their faith differently, so we provide a multitude of kinds of good dirt to accommodate them. God has the multitude of our needs in mind, and by scattering the seed everywhere, God makes sure that each person can get everything they need to grow. God uses all of creation, and everything has value to God, even if we humans can't see it. It's up to us to find the ways to use the gifts we've been given, just as each of these plants has found ways to grow and thrive in their particular dirt, or lack thereof. This parable, packed with perspectives, keeps showing me new things as I interpret it throughout my life. May you find it doing the same in yours. Thank you.
3: Standing up here as a senior in high school, completing my last few months at home before beginning the next chapter of my life, is an honor. As I look back and think how I can try this this parable into a common message to the good people of Nassau, I wrestled with which aspect of my life and relationship with the church I wanted to share. It's needless to say that beginning with my acting debut as baby Jesus in the 2004 Christmas pageant (laughs) to now being a ruling elder on the session, my journey with my faith stands true and strong, NASA. Of course, with that comes many pivotal memories and stories throughout my youth. Club 345 lock-ins, summers in North Bay, polar plunging in Lake Champion, and catching ice cream off of this very roof are just some of the few that come to mind. However, after reflecting on this week's scripture, one story stood out to me in particular, and in fact, it happened just this past summer. Mark Edwards can be seen as many things. (laughs) A great leader, a teacher, a great speaker, and mentor. However, one attribute of Mark that I think is underrated is his incredible ability of persuasion. About a year ago today, Mark somehow persuaded me and about a dozen other evidently incredible gullible youth and adults to go out into the middle of nowhere and climb a mountain. After traveling for thousands of miles to a base camp with no electricity or plumbing, the larger Nassau group was then divided into two smaller groups. Each of the two groups climbed different mountains and were to meet back to the base camp after the week had passed. In addition, each of the groups were assigned different Young Life counselors, who also thankfully happened to be professional mountain climbers. My group was gifted with the presence of Calum and Jesse as our leaders. Calum, about 210 pounds, 6'3", with 10 fingers and nine toes. As if I was not anxious enough already, hearing his story of losing his big toe while climbing a mountain was definitely not helping. (laughs) Calum was a man of strict business, however extremely capable for his job. His attributes complemented well with Jesse's, someone of outright and funny behavior, who was definitely more of an apprentice to Calum, but was never scared to crack a joke or to be there for when you needed it most. Now of all the memories that I have from this trip, most were good, Others, not as much. But the memory that actually sticks with me the most happened after we finished our expedition. On the night before we went home, we spent the night at sea level at the base camp we had arrived at originally. Now at this point, both of the two Nassau climbing groups had been reunited, but were still separated for where we slept that night just for convenience. One group's cabin was right next to where we would all meet, swim, and was very easy to get to. This was not where my group stayed. My group's cabin was located about 250 yards away through the woods and up and down Windy Pathways. On the last night of everyone in my, on the last night, everyone in my group had gone to bed. Soren and I decided to go out from our cabin to the other group's cabin to hear about their stories from their own adventures before we all went to bed. About an hour or so later, after story sharing, Soren decided to go back to our, our campsite, taking our only flashlight with him and I stayed back for a little while longer. After deciding it was time to go, I began to travel to our campsite with no light guiding me besides the ambient orange of the group's campfire. However, as that fire became not strong enough to shine enough light, I quickly found myself lost with no light or any sense of direction. I had no sense of which way was which and I had to go back to our campsite far away through the thick and curvy woods. I had no light now besides what little my eyes could see and what the moon was shining down upon. I began doing the only thing I could think of, walking forward, one step at a time, with my arms straight out, hoping I would hit something before it hit me in the face. (laughs) After what felt like hours of this tactic, I made no real progress and was starting to lose hope and in all honesty, starting to get really scared. At this point, I then did the only only remaining thing I could think of and I started to pray. Dear God, please get me out of this mess and help me make it back safely. Amen. That's all I said. Dear God, please get me out of this mess and help me make it back safely. Amen. I closed my eyes, and when I did this, which looking back on was kind of weird considering I couldn't see anything to begin with, but when I opened my eyes, nine-toed Calum came out of the woods with a lantern and an extra flashlight. He had just gotten hungry in the middle of the night and made his way to the kitchen where he found me, much to his surprise. (laughs) I had been saved. After making it back, I think it goes without saying, that I did not get much sleep that night. Was it because I was sleeping on a wooden plank? No. Was it because Soren was snoring louder than a freight train? No. I laid awake that night in shock at what had just happened to me. I had never had this feeling and had come to the revelation that the big man upstairs above the clouds with the big white beard actually does in fact listen, but not at no cost. Now when I say cost, I don't mean the cost of money or offerings or some sort of repentance. What I mean is to provide, provide patience and hope. Patience and hope, also known as this little thing I like to call faith. This is the cost of God's work. Inevitably, in our lives, we will all come across bad dirt, in both big and small. The stresses of hardships of school, work, money, and relationships are all weeds that appear in our gardens weekly, if not daily. And sometimes you probably can feel like I did, alone in the dark, with your arms out, hoping to feel something before it hits you in the face. And I apologize if I'm the one to break the news to you. But unfortunately, these are just the weeds that can harm maybe one bed of flowers or possibly a corner of our garden. But we can't forget about the infestation of weeds that spread throughout our entire soil underground. Violence, disease, inequity, prejudice, poverty, the hatred of someone because the color of their skin or because who or what they love, the current annexation of Eastern European countries and the removal of both civil and global liberties that come with that, this list goes on and on. All of these evils are weeds in our gardens, and at this point, I really don't blame you if you feel like, just like I did. Alone in the dark, with your arms out, hoping to feel something before it hits you in the face. Not all hope is lost, however. With the little thing I mentioned earlier called faith, the seeds in our garden of love, unity, and justice will surpass the tyrant force of these weeds and grow into the sprouting flowers of community and hardship. Despite me standing up here, I have to remind myself that I am not ordained or an official minister, but it doesn't take an ordination to preach that good will overcome bad, love will overcome hate, and light will overcome darkness. It's through my experience of sprouting flowers of Club 345 lock-ins, summers in North Bay, polar plunging in Lake Champion, and catching ice cream off of this very roof that I can make these promises. So if you ever find yourself alone in the dark with your arms out hoping to feel something before it hits you in the face, remember the power of prayer, the power of faith, and the power of God. And who knows, maybe you too will find your own guide with nine toes handing you the light that you need in the darkness.